There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. Punched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Really, really hot in East Tennessee time. Happy 4th of July, belated 4th of July time. Patrick Brown finally rejoining us from vacation time. About time he earned his paycheck time. Post-vacation malaise time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker and Ryan Callahan and Patrick Brown, the artist also known as Pat Brown, PB whatever you want to call him, all here at Fort Rucker Studio today. We're missing everyone, or missing only one person. We're missing Grant. One of his 18 children has a birthday today. That's true. Happy birthday, little man, Ramey. I think, actually, he's, he's a year old now, so he'll probably be saying more words than Grant already. Probably true. He only has two kids, by the way. Just, yeah, Grant will, be, Grant will be saddened to hear that he has 18. The youngest... Old man in the world, Grant Ramey, whose son looks exactly like him. Well, Poor kid. His daughter does too. Yeah. <sighs> Sucks for them, doesn't it? We got a lot to discuss on this podcast today. What we're going to do, we're going to get to a couple things first. But we wanted to tell you, because we're, we're actually pretty excited to talk about this. There's a lot of people who say the media is negative. They say, go boss 24-7, y'all are too negative when you talk Tennessee. You always tell us why they're not going to win this season. You always tell us why it's a long road for Pruitt. You always tell us that none of these players who were recruited so highly are actually very good. Why aren't you guys homers? Why aren't you guys homers time? Why aren't you doing that? Why don't you make me more excited for this season? Yeah, whatever it is, we get that reputation. Sometimes earned, I think more often than not, not earned. But I will say this, it is easy when you are around a program all the time, every day. You tend to see more, you, you become like a coach. You focus more on like the things that you can do or, or the, that your team can't do or things that would hurt that team. And you fail to see, hey, wait, things are actually pretty good here in this spot. You know, you start focusing more on the things that, other people could do to you rather than the things that your team can do and the positives that your team does have. So there are reasons to be um, to call us out for that sometimes. I do believe that. I've said that for a long time. When you've been on a beat for a long time, you become a little jaded. So we're going to spend this podcast talking about reasons why things might not suck. What Sunshine was, what, time. Ryan, what was the way that you described it, which was more eloquent than um, it might not suck? I, you, you described it this way first. The optimist, I forgot. The optimist guide to the uh, 2018 right. season. The yeah. optimist guide to the galaxy, yes. Yeah. Uh, we will get to that in just a minute, but first we will do a couple other things which are fun to do. One, we will uh, poke at Butch Jones because why not, right? YOLO. Uh, also because Wes is running this podcast. That's why we're trying to trigger me. It's not going to work. It's it not going to work. Are. 
It always works. Just give it time. What was it like being in the Midwestern United States and not being able to trigger me in person? It's pretty easy. You have these things called phones. No, I said in person. Um, it is more fun to trigger you. Actually, I think it's more fun to trigger you with text. Are, are you going? That's true. Are you going to uh, admit to people where you were now? Yes. Um, I, I, the wife and I went to Chicago for a few days. Uh, we just we didn't really want to do the beach. Apparently, there's a lot of people on the beach nowadays. It's true. Um, not that there's not a lot of people in Chicago, um, but, but I had only been to Chicago once, like on a seventh grade class trip, and wife had never been, so we we're like, hey, let's go hang out in a big city for a few days. So we flew up there, uh, went to a Cubs game. I got to see uh, West's Cubs win against the Twins. It's all your fault. Uh, Ryan, meanwhile, got to see the National League leading Braves beat his Cardinals what twice or just once just once yeah I could have gone to see them lose three <laughs> times to the Braves but I only saw one of those uh and you know we did the other stuff the uh what, what else is there doing in Chicago the bean did we did the bean first night uh I went to the art institute you go to the uh the the whatever it's called formerly known as the Sears Tower yes it's called the Willis Tower the Willis now. Tower there uh, you go. and with the crazy Yes, uh, we did the ledge we, overlooking. The, yes, we did the ledge overlooking. I took pictures of my shoes hanging over. I don't. I can't forget. I keep forgetting how many stories it is. Yeah, seems uh, really scary looking. down. It is a little harrowing yeah. at first. Yeah, and then you're like, okay, it's fine. We did do that. Uh, did the they have an aquarium over there? They have a planetarium. That's that, cool. that's, a, that's the place that has fish. Yes, uh, the planetarium is a place that's about space. Josh Dobbs, I loved it. I think I even said to my wife, I'd it'd be cool to come here with Dobbs because he would. He could be like, He'd go off this nerd. is that, yes. this is that. Yes. Um, he could then build you a craft that would take you there like <laughs> Elon Musk. Yes, exactly. What else do we do? We, uh, we actually went up to Milwaukee uh, one day. Yeah. That's not in Chicago. That's not in Chicago. <laughs> uh, we rented a car. It's actually not even in the same state. It's basically a suburb of Chicago, though. Let's call it what it is. Um, uh, and we went on a, a sailboat on Lake Michigan. That was pretty fun. It, looked like, it legit looked like a pirate ship, like full-on big sails, the whole thing. I've never been on a sailboat before. You had some good food in Chicago. Had some good food like. in Chicago. Uh, some pizza. Some deep dish pizza. Wait, did you, did you yeah. say motorboat? No, I said sailboat. Okay. You had a joke ready, didn't you? No, I just wanted to say, uh, I wanted to make you uncomfortable. Did Had some had some adult beverages, took some uh, tours. Nice. At, at some places that make adult beverages. Uh, we actually got to go on one thing that was like where a lot of the, the Chicago city history happened of like a lot of the contraband stuff like during Prohibition and like Learned a lot about Al Capone and whatnot. That was kind of cool. Uh, went to this blues location. Watering hole, if you will. I'm trying to keep this. This is a family podcast, right? So I'm trying to keep this It this is, but, family. But listen, kids out there, when, sometimes when you get a little older, you're allowed to have, the, have these different drinks, and they taste pretty good. And if you don't drink too many of them, you'll feel pretty good and have a good time. You'll relax a little bit. Uh, we went to this one blues place. Where, it's great. You should uh, try it when you get older, but not before then. Do you, do you know who Buddy Guy is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's his place. He owns it. Nice. Um, they have guitars on the wall from, I mean, name of famous guitarists. B.B. King, Clapton. Jimi Hendrix? Uh, there was no Jimi Hendrix up there. Uh, Keith Richards. Probably like a Stevie Ray Vaughan. Tom Petty was up there. SRV was up there. SRV's brother was up there on the wall. Zach Wilde, some of those guys probably up there too. Jeff Beck. Yep. Great, uh, great guitar player. So they have like all these guitars like behind the, where you get your adult beverages. Um, very cool. Signed with their name. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And uh, they said this guy's 82 years old and still plays like, he only plays like one month out of the year. 
but he rocks but it. But he got yes. But he rocks it for that um, month. Yes. So that's awesome. I think most of our and best of all, while we were in Milwaukee, I think they were having a Summerfest concert series tour. Yeah, we that. we went there the night after Florida Georgia Line played, so we avoided them completely. Oh, so awesome! Done. Hashtag winning. Who is it at the twenty four seven Sports Home Office that is like a closet fan of Florida Georgia Line? I think it's Trey Scott is a big fan of Florida Georgia Line because I remember at the convention there was a lot of fun had at his expense. So if you're listening out there, okay. Trey, stop listening to Florida Georgia Line. <laughs> I did not remember that. About please, him. please, please stop listening to that. For, if not, you just slandered him and he will be in touch with you, I'm sure. <laughs> Whatever. Like things aren't said about all of us. But I think that doesn't quite 100% do it for the for the PTO, for the staff this summer, but I think – all of our uh, main vacations are now vacation. out of the way. And uh, it's kind of sad for us because it's like everybody else gets excited. And we kind of do a little bit too because, it's I mean, it's better than a real job. Yeah. But it, our summers are very sacred times for us because we have to work more in the summer than we used to because we're not like school teachers like we used to be where it's like, oh, I'll write a couple things a week. I'm not really worried about it. Times are changed now in the Internet era. Thanks, Al Gore. But – like, we still, at the end of our summer, toward the end of it, you start going, oh, it's over. Like You start counting down the days. Like, like your wives start getting yeah. a little bit upset because they know it's coming. We're and like, it's man, like, media days is less than two weeks away. Yeah, oh. it's just, it's tough. But, I mean, we, we spent some time out on the lake yesterday for the 4th of July. It was, it was a good time. Enjoyed it. Wished that it could have continued on longer. The fireworks were great because just right behind us here at Fort Rucker Studio, you can actually watch the fireworks by just... Um, opening up the window shade and boom there it is downtown so that is nice uh, there uh, there's a lot of things about the summer that we love and 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 they're sacred to us and they are almost done but before we get to uh, our Pat- Patrick are we done talking about your yeah your we, vacation I've already yeah I've bored everyone enough oh no I talked about St. Lucia when I got back you ought to be able to talk yeah, about your honeymoon. Stuff. Yeah, it was. And one of these days, I will tell the story of the uh, Great Jellyfish Incident of 2018. That probably needs to be shared eventually. That, that will be shared during a, a moment when it, beca- when it comes up organically in a, in a conversation. We'll, we'll drop that little nugget. Some, pe- some people enjoy our off-topic venturing. I'm sure people are 10 minutes into this or whatever thinking, man, get to the Tennessee stuff already. But I got a compliment one day on your parking lot. Story in the rental well, that's car. because that's an hilarious story. It's oh, an amazing story. Yeah, wrecking the yeah. Uh, Dodge Avenger or whatever yeah. the hell it is into the into the con- the brick wall near in the in the Enterprise rental car parking lot. Not my finest moment. Also, not my finest moment. I'll tease it with this: I may or may not have gotten forty people stung by a jellyfish by a colony. What do you call them? A swarm, a gaggle, a school. murder of jellyfish, a school of jellyfish. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Let's just say it was not a comfortable experience for all of us, and I think only my wife and I know that I might have been the culprit. But we've kept that quiet, and we'll get to that story another time. Hold on, guys. We have some news. Uh, Pruitt is out. Not Jeremy Pruitt, the the Pruitt in the government. Oh, oh, Scott Pruitt. So if you're doing that joke on anybody, you're mean, don't do it. If you're a Tennessee fan. You just made that joke. I know. I'm proving, I'm showing you guys how how mean it is. (laughs) Don't do this. It's a bad example. I'm setting a bad example. It's a bad time for the for the for the people it's, of the world named Pruitt. Who's Scott Pruitt? Uh, what does he do, Wes? You probably know this guy better than I do. He uh, EPA runs. Chief. The, he hilariously runs the EPA when I don't think anyone either party thought he was a great idea to run it. Another story for another day. He uh, 
No relation to the Tennessee football coach. Yeah. He, uh, as far he, as I know. Yeah, he's for out leaving the government, and he might go back to the government in handcuffs at some point. You never really know. <laughs> we will make fun of Butch Jones really quickly, and then we will go on to some other things. Uh, in case you've missed it, one of Tennessee's former players finally said a lot of the things that a lot of us have said, and I know that I have said very loudly for a few years about exactly why Butch Jones was hard to, to deal with. Josh Smith, uh, former Tennessee, former Christian Academy of Knoxville wide receiver, current New Orleans Saints wide receiver. Uh, he uh, basically went on a podcast with our friend Jesse Smith, who does a great job with the FOP. Uh, FOP. FOP. Uh, and, and we're an FOP of his podcast, the, the Five Star Preps podcast. He's done a great job with that so far. He had an interview with Josh Smith where Josh Smith basically said that the problem with Butch Jones was that he always had a front on and he never got to talk to the real Butch Jones and he never really got to know for sure who the real Butch Jones was. Uh, And and I love this. This is the most classic Josh Smith moment of the whole thing. He kind of took one second. He was like, am I going to talk about this? Yeah, I'm going to talk about this. Yeah. And and then he said, uh, I, I told him he knows how I feel. Mm-hmm. So basically, he's saying I, I'm not back. I'm not backstabbing here. I, I'm front stabbing him. I'm, I'm not going, telling him anything I haven't yeah, told him myself. I'm going Anthony Scaramucci on this. I'm front stabbing you, and the mooch, the mooch front stabs, and he basically said all of those things about Butch Jones that all of us were saying, which is that there were you never really knew who, knew who the real Butch Jones was. He he never let his guard down. He never felt like a human being, and uh, most poignantly, he said he was disappointed that his time at Tennessee had never really felt like a family. And basically said that it's now fun to play football for an NFL team where it's notoriously more businesslike than in college, essentially saying it wasn't that fun to play at Tennessee under Butch Jones. And that is that that is quite a statement to say about about a college coach, to say that it was so bad there. I didn't even have that much fun. Zero fun, sir. That college, the most fun time of your life uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, and <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, it was disappointing to to see that. I, I thought because <clears throat> while it's refreshing for one of them to be honest, mm-hmm. it really lets you know that <clears throat> the things that we thought they were probably experiencing, they actually were experiencing. Yeah, and it wasn't just you know, us being jaded or us making fun of the guy, like, or I'll say me making fun of the guy and everyone else criticizing the guy. And it really was that way for a lot of them. And if you want to, <clears throat> another example of this, excuse me, I got a, had a bug in my throat all day here. Um, Alvin Kamara, I think, I'm not sure if he was, would you say he was trolling Jalen Reeves Mabin or, tr- or simultaneously trolling Jalen Reeves Mabin and Butch Jones? It was more trolling Butch Jones. It was... Yeah, when, when he said, don't worry, Jalen Reeves, Mabin, you're a champion of life, bro. And that's Which is something that we tell each other regularly. Yes. Amongst the Go Balls. Maybe not as much as we used to. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm telling you, I'm starting. You see that picture over there on the, the studio wall over there that's got the Go Balls 24-7 Team 7 trash can? There's going to be another one made for Team 8, and we're going to have a wall of the teams. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be – we're going to have some fun with that. Um, but – yeah, uh, a lot of that stuff, you can tell now that, I mean, everyone uses slogans, everyone does that, but 
it was pretty extreme there, and the players even were like, "Okay, what's going on with this dude here?" Uh, on the on the Josh Smith thing, I I kind of said this um, on a radio show I did this week. I I said it was basically the most uh, the 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 most well articulated takedown of Butch Jones that we've heard so far because it wasn't from a player who was angry. It wasn't from a player who left the program because he had to. It wasn't from someone who had a a well publicized beef with Butch Jones. The guy who played that. through every injury imaginable yeah. during his college career. It's a guy who's in the NFL, maybe in spite of some things that happened under Butch Jones, but mostly because of in, in spite of the injuries he dealt with. Um, but it's a it's a guy who I mean from Knoxville went to UT originally committed to Derek Dooley. Stuck, stuck it out through the you entire... Cu- you, you cut the kid, he bleeds orange. Yeah, uh, and stuck it out through the entire Butch Jones tenure. And even in the most... Even as he's saying it, he's saying it in the most polite way possible, basically. But basically saying, yeah, I, I, I really didn't feel like I got to know the guy in a lot of ways, and I didn't really have that much fun playing for him. Yeah, and you can kind of see, I think... I mean, there were, there were different parts throughout Butch's tenure where Tennessee played really tight. Mm-hmm. It's almost yes. like he, this was Butch's feeling that he didn't want to mess it up. Yes. And that's why, that's why he had a front on. That's why he coached sometimes in a shell when he. He coached to not lose the game. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about 2015 and then I think 2016, I think the expectations was something that they just weren't able to handle because the head coach wasn't able to handle it. And it trickled down through his team and they were able to win enough games. They were able to win. Games because they had some brilliant, talented players like Dobbs, Barnett, Kamara, so on. They had some of those guys to cover up some of that that fatal flaw. And then once those guys left, you get last year where the wheels fell off. And and I go I go back to and and this could be a whole separate podcast for another day. But I go back to the infamous Travis Haney culture story. Oh boy, um, here we go. <laughs> oh boy, published on twenty four. Let's beat that dead horse some more. Yeah, again, not beating that that dead horse at all. But there was one comment in that story from the anonymous source that that kind of applies directly to this, and it was basically that Butch Jones was not comfortable in his own skin. Correct. And that was, I thought, even at the time, a, a it was a sign to me that it was a legitimate source being quoted, obviously, because that was a very spot on observation for those of us who were around him and covered him all the time. I, I was not part of the company at that point. Yeah. And when I re- first read that story, we're not going to get off on this. I'm yeah. just adding this to, to give you some, some validation. But when I read that story, my first thought was, well, there's not really a whole lot in here that's false. Right. Yep. <laughs> that was my, my, regardless of the journalistic side of it. And we're not getting into yeah. all that. Um, to a lot of people, it seemed like rehash because it was yeah. A lot of, I mean, well a lot of it in there was like you 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 know you read what's in there, what's being said by whoever said it, and you're just like, well, it's not wrong. Yeah. No, the, the, I've been candid about this. Uh, the first time that I read it, I thought two things: one, this Uh-oh. is 100% accurate, and two, 100% it, it should have been sourced a little better. And that's what I said at the well, beginning. Yeah, I thought that's so what too. at the beginning I said it was. Com- I said I don't see anything in here. That's inaccurate, but if we're going to have that kind of story, I think it, it should be sourced yeah. better. But but the point is, guys, when you say, like, some of the times we give opinions and they're like, this is just your opinion, this is just, what, what do you know? I'll give you a, a quick backstory to why we think some of the things that we think. I remember Butch Jones' very first season at Tennessee talking to a player uh, that I'm not going to mention his name, but who everyone would know, a guy who was a, a prominent player, a prominent member of the team. And I was talking to him about, some of those corny sayings and stuff. And he looked at me completely seriously and said, 
yeah, man, it's corny, it's BS, and, and I just kind of roll my eyes sometimes. But if these young kids buy into it and we start winning more, I don't care. So there were warning signs up pretty quickly from some of those older players that very first year saying, man, this is off the deep end corny. But if it works and these young kids buy into it and the, start winning games, hey, man, it, it's all good. So And that, that, that was before he started kind of getting on everyone's, under everyone's skin all the time. This was when you were so desperate for a change and this was a positive guy replacing a guy who wasn't always positive, and you're saying, okay, yeah, this is good, this is good. But th- there were signs up then, and, and then by the second year, I was all, already like, I, 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 don't, I don't know how this is going to end because I think that you're going to see people turn on this guy, and when they do, it's not going to be pretty, and he's not going to know how to handle it. Well, and, and the follow-up point I wanted to make on the on the you know not being comfortable in his own skin comments, you know that and that this is a guy that's now got eleven years of college coaching experience, and and that's and that's still a criticism of him and a, and a valid one I think maybe not totally comfortable showing his true personality and I think well if your person if, your if he knows what it is your person yeah. your personality doesn't matter as much when you're in true Pleasant Michigan true. or Cincinnati yeah. and and you know, you're in your own little bubble yep. when you've got. You know, the Bengals so, and everybody else around you. So if there's anything that Butch Jones, you know, if, I hope for Butch Jones's sake that if he can take anything away from his time at Alabama or anywhere else he might go before he becomes a head coach again, I hope it's that he can figure out what kind of voice he needs to develop as a, as a coach, what kind of personality he wants to show, and actually just show it. And if that's an angry guy running around screaming all the time, then so be it. But at least let people know the the real you you're not any any and let players respect you in that you way you know and you and don't have it where pl- players like Josh Smith are saying that we got treated like children yeah because you're not coaching middle school kids you're not coaching high school kids you're coaching young men more or less you know old kids big kids young men and they understand they're in an era where they have more access to more information they can read what other people think they they can they're, they just, they're a more aware group of guys, maybe, than they would have been 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it's harder to build a culture where you just focus on kind of, you know, acting like the stuff outside doesn't matter when, when it's out there and it does matter. And these kids are going to know that, and you can't fool them. And I'll say my last point is that it was really easy to see why he had never been a head coach anywhere longer than – about three or four years, because you saw when it extended past that, what what that led to that 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 sort of, you know, it's like he can quick fix something a little bit and patch it, but it's not built to last. And and that is, uh, I think, in large part because of his personality. And, and I think the guy's got some good ideas uh, about football. I'll also say this: he is an incredibly, incredibly hard worker and. Uh, maybe maybe he can learn from this and become a better football coach. We want everyone who does everything to do it the best they can, and hopefully he learns from it because he, he needs to learn from it. Uh, a couple other quick things, guys, before we move on to the main topic. Uh, we will talk about some important dates. Tennessee has, has let – I wouldn't say let slip. They released when the fan day is going to be, when preseason camp is going to start – believe Patrick you just wrote this story as we're recording this uh, it looks now like preseason camp's going to open on Friday August 3rd and fan day is going to be at Neyland Stadium on Sunday August 5th which means they won't be in full pads 
they'll actually probably just be in shells that day. Um, but uh, I, I think that the, the, this is smart from Pruitt because what he's doing is he's having post he's having preseason media day and he's having fan day at Neyland Stadium early in camp to get it out of the way. That way they can give the fans a little something, but then they can get back and put their focus on football, which is where he wants their focus. And I also think that Pruitt thought it would be a good idea to put Fan Day and Media Day on the same day because all that stuff he doesn't want to handle, he can get out of the way quickly. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's, like it's like going to the dentist, just take it out. Just, just take the tooth out. I don't, I don't even want, just, let's just get this out of the way. And, and I think that's, that's what I noticed from there. Anybody else, any thoughts on that? Why are you pointing at me? No, I don't have any thoughts, Ryan. I was just deferring to, to you. I, <laughs> I didn't, didn't really have a whole lot to add. Uh, yeah, it's almost here. Like we said, you know, preseason camp will be here. And a month away from fan day, uh, you know, less than a month away from the start of preseason practice. It's uh, Hello, darkness, my old summer friend. Yeah, it's that time. And uh, SEC Media Day is less than two weeks away. Lots of... Lots of stuff on the horizon that will let people know, hey, it's you know, football season's almost here. It's uh, what we're now, I guess, the, the day of this being released. This is, what, 57 days from the start of uh, yeah. preseason practice. Or the start, of the start of the season. So that means uh, yeah, the start of preseason practice, less than 30 days. So, yeah, it's it's almost here, and that's a uh, reason to be excited for a lot of people in, in Tennessee. And the last thing we've got here on, on my uh, the itinerary right here. Smaller paper crinkle. Well, yeah, because I've written the Facebook schedule for the day on the bigger notepad, mm-hmm. on the legal pad, and I don't like having to – if I'm going to write on a piece of legal paper, legal pad, I need it to be connected to the pad still. Yeah. Because wh- I don't, who writes on a scrap piece of yeah. paper from a legal pad? That's not – that's insane. That's Depends what, on what I'm writing. That's the kind of yeah. thing a serial killer would do. It's not – I'm just it, jotting down a phone number or yeah, something, it, sure. It, it, needs to be, it needs to be on there. So that's why this is on the smaller pad than normal. Uh, but this is – uh, Ryan talks some recruiting. <laughs> and the reason that I wrote it like that is that last week's podcast, now I thought... I thought it was magnificent. I thought Pat and I did an excellent job for, for guys whose main job is not to cover the recruiting scene and, and you know, predict it and talk about it and, and, and analyze prospects and, and all these other things. I think we... I don't, I don't know if I'll say expertly... But more than adequately, only, only God is an expert, Wes. M- yeah, ag- agreed. More, we more than adequately discussed Tennessee's recent uh, obtainment of two commitments, and we did an okay job. It was more than adequate. If it were, I like, thought it was an excellent job. If it were a dinner, it would be like a nice, you know, you got just you like grill a piece of chicken, put a couple of rice and vegetables. It's like a nice solid dinner but it's not like Ryan especially agrees about the grilled yeah chicken part. grilled chicken sandwich master here over here ryan no one in the world has had more grilled chicken sandwiches and more restaurants and more cities sorry ryan he in made the that world too easy than ryan callahan that I actually that that wasn't where i was going when i started it but then <laughs> when i started talking i, mean, I was I like that's where are you going well i didn't know because i was gonna say like you know it's just a nice like you know you know pork one or something like that it's like a, a nice dinner a, but then a, some people don't eat pork so it's like true. what do you go with okay grilled chicken everybody eats grilled chicken and so i said it that way but we we were like the switch hitters in baseball where we normally hit right-handed but last week we had to bat left-handed and you know what we came through and we hit a double in the gap that's yeah. what i thought we we it may have been one of those doubles like that you poke down the line or whatever like no, op, op, like an oppo stand up double like an oppo <laughs> oppo double one of those um, I'm gonna have to hit it in the gap if I'm gonna make it to second base I'll tell you that much for sure uh, there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of long singles from this guy but if 
we could adequately discuss it. Ryan can more than adequately, much more than adequately discuss it. So, Ryan, Tennessee recruiting from the past uh, one to two weeks since you were on the podcast, go. Yeah. Um, That's the closest I'll get to a compliment from you, Wes, saying that I can more than adequately discuss um, all of that. More than adequately. More than adequately. That's the motto of Bill 24-7. More than adequate. More your team all the time, more than adequate. <laughs> oh. uh, but yeah, so you guys covered the Brian Maurer edition, the three-star quarterback from uh, Ocala, Florida. You bet you're, you know what we did. Well, so since since he is committed, he's been at the opening finals out in uh, Frisco, Texas, at the absurdly over-the-top nice home of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Why didn't you get to go cover that? Uh, only a certain number of people get to go. And, and they, they moved it from Beaverton, Oregon, which was surprising. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised by that, too. Um yeah, sometimes I go to those types of things. I have not been to an opening finals, and I'm okay with that. It falls during my vacation season, yeah, our vacation point. season. So, you know, if I get to go sometime, that's fine. But I'm okay not going to. So, anyway. I bet they were crushed. I'm sure. You weren't there. I'm sure. So, uh, so yeah, he went out there, and our analysts ranked him fifth out of the 12 quarterbacks who were at the event, the 12 that earned that invitation from the Elite 11 finals. Someone has already asked why they get invite 12 quarterbacks. It's supposed to be the Elite 11. I, I don't have the Some answer to that. Big but 10 math right yeah. there. It's the, it's the Elite a dozen. Yeah, but that's the bottom line. They invited 12. He finished, according to our guys, fifth out of those 12. So he, he obviously had a pretty good week uh, out there, I guess four days out there. Would you say he was more than adequate? Yeah, I would say more than adequate. Boom. Um, uh, he's... Now the question everyone Sounds wants like our kind of quarterback. The question everyone wants to know my you know, kind of guy. Will he will this make him a you know potentially a candidate for a four star rating uh while he's currently a three star? I, I don't know that. I haven't spoken to all of our analysts yet. They haven't even had these conversations yet. It doesn't sound like, if I had to guess, the initial feedback I've gotten points to a likely four star rating, but he could get a bump at least in the rankings. He's helped his cause. Uh, had a nice spring camp season that led to the Elite 11 finals invite, and then obviously him being one of the top 12 there, and then uh, and then back that up with a nice showing there over some guys ranked ranked higher than him, frankly. So I think he's at least positioned himself well to have a shot at earning that fourth star going into the season, but his stats from last year, not overwhelming in some areas. His passing yard total last year, a little low. His touchdown total, a little low. I think through 13 interceptions last year. So there's some things you want to see from him on game film to back that up, but what he's done this offseason, very good. And more importantly, he got better throughout his time at the opening finals. So I'm Tennessee very excited to have him have him on board, to have a, a good quarterback in this class. Uh, it's a tough year for quarterbacks, so I think to, to get a guy that you're happy with is uh, – uh, So they're going to drop him to a two-star is what you're saying? No, no, but that's that's a good summation of what I what I said. No, I thought I think so. But, uh, no, so he Tennessee still, even though they have him, though – at the same time, they're probably not going to back off. In fact, I can pretty confidently say they're not going to back off Talia Tungavailoa. I don't know if you guys got into that at all last week. Little but Tua. Yeah, so to Tua Tungavailoa's little brother, the, the, the Alabama quarterback, his younger brother, that's on Alabama's campus all the time, committed to Alabama right now. Tennessee got him on campus last month uh, for a visit uh, that allowed him to go to one of the Vols camps. He's still, I think, taking a legitimate look at Tennessee and, and – it's worth at least keeping an eye on. I don't. I'm not saying he's on the verge of flipping. If his brother somehow doesn't. Yeah, if he's not the starter, if Tua is not Alabama's starter this year, th- that certainly opens the door big time for Tennessee to really have a shot to to flip Talia. Um, is that the only scenario in which they might get him? I can't say that for sure now because there is just enough smoke out there. Depending on who you talk to. God, can you imagine if Alabama has both of those kids? They're going to have to put the first name and last name since they're both start with the T. 
and then T U and T A. That's they're spelled a little differently. To add, yeah. If you have to add any 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 letters to that, that's going to be that's a handful. I mean, I think yeah. they've got the money in their budget to handle it. I'm just saying it's going to be a small font. Yeah, <laughs> or they're going to have to wear a long sleeve jersey, and it'll go from like, you know, one sleeve to the other. Yeah, Wes, uniform font expert. Um, just saying. But uh, yeah, so, kinda, they can go like little kid baseball with their first names on the back. There you go. <laughs> so, in such w- case, you would not need very long. One of them can sleeves. they can get Brazilian nicknames like Tuinho, <laughs> so and, tu- and, and Tuando. So, so Tennessee will not give up on him, but they are ha- obviously happy to have Brian Maurer in the class. Uh, there's still a scenario where they might need a second quarterback in this class. I don't think that's an inevitability right now, but we'll if see. If somebody left, if somebody leaves, you know, you, you maybe change your approach to that. But right now, a it's not a great year to take two. B if well, you, if you take two, you can get creative. You could, you know, yeah. get another grad transfer. Like another grad transfer. To. And I think um, that's – if I had to guess right now, that's still just as likely. As I'd be learning. recruiting quarterbacks all the time in this era. Yeah. I'd be recruiting them all the time to add as many as you can because you know some are going to leave. You could, you know, you, maybe you get the loser of the Alabama quarterback sweepstakes. If that if that were to be <laughs> Tua, that would be crazy. But, uh, no, uh, yeah, I, Tagovailoa squared. But but yeah, there there are going to be options out there in the grad transfer Tuing market you. and things like that. That's that's a good point. And you know, junior college quarterbacks, someone could emerge there this year. So yeah, there there are going to be other options out there. But to take two high school quarterbacks this year, unless you can flip someone like Talia or uh, Lance Lejeune that's committed to to Kansas from from Louisiana, that's great a, name. Yeah, it's a it, it's he's one to keep an eye on at least, but not a whole lot. Not a great football program he's committed to though. <laughs> But not not a whole lot. I don't know that's seriously happening Four there lane, right now. Three so, lane, two so, lane. So we'll see. But uh, but Talia is is probably the more likely candidate right now. If Tennessee was to to land anyone else at quarterback, um, the other guys are out at the opening finals. Ramel Keaton also had a solid week. The four star receiver uh, had showed better speed. It seemed like and, and made some plays. So a solid showing for him. Uh, a little more buzz about him early during his four day stay there than toward the end. But still, he he was solid. Uh, from everything I've heard. And then Wanye Morris, the five-star offensive tackle, well, five-star in the 24-7 sports composite ratings. Uh, he's still a four-star on 24-7 sports. I don't know that he's going to be a five-star after this, but he at Why least – Why not, Ryan? Why? He at least – Two-star. He at least strengthened his case, though. And You're going to drop him, aren't you? No, he had a very good week. I, I don't drop anybody. Personally. If he drops five spots, there's going to be a – Ryan.Callahan at CBSInteractive.com. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's over here trying to have a serious recruiting discussion. Wes and I are just over here cutting. No, him. throwing him curveballs. <laughs> but but Wanye Morris did have a good showing. I think it at least strengthened his case for a fifth star. I think he probably maybe, if I had to guess, maybe moves up a little bit in the rankings. We'll, we'll see what the analysts ultimately decide to do, but I think he – he probably helped his college. I'm no expert, but by God, that when you look at that kid and his size and just the, and athletic, the athleticism yep. and the size of those hands, and I'm like, that just looks for all the world like a five-star. But I don't if, – if they don't have him at a five, there's a reason for that. Well, so. it, here's the thing, though. Five stars are guys that should be day one starters anywhere they go, in my opinion. On the offensive line, that's why I thought Drew Richmond was never a five-star because I thought he was going to need time to develop. Well, if you're Tennessee – And Trey Smith was a five-star, and he did start on day one. Well, but it shouldn't be a sliding scale. It should be a guy who's a a five-star should be able to start anywhere as a true freshman, I think, Um, at least capable of that. And that's you know Cam Cam Robinson at Alabama. That's a five-star on the offensive line. So to me, I've got a pretty high bar for what a five-star should be on the offensive line. I agree. Wanye Morris has NFL – Early round. This ain't AYSO. Not everyone yeah. gets orange slices and oatmeal cream it, pies. NFL early round upside, but his senior year to me will show us whether he's five star capable. Because if you look at his film from last season, 
not as physically dominating as he should be, and I think he's got that next step to take. So if he can do that this year, I think he's got a he's got a really good shot at. It seemed to me like star. for for coaches and for our recruiting analysts that offensive line, defensive line would be the toughest positions to evaluate because yeah. those are such del- you know developmental positions. You're almost Agreed. saying, what is this guy going to look like? When he's twenty one, hey, uh, as opposed to when he's seventeen, we've brought in some. Right. So we've brought in some some outside experts and stuff to help us in the past with that as a company, which is one of the billion reasons why I think we're the best at what we do because we'll go get input from others and you know NFL guys and stuff and make sure that we know what we're what we're doing. And, and that, I, I think that's that's a really good thing. And that's you know that's why you you know it's just it would be so tough for for coaches to to evaluate offensive line because you're projecting what they're going to look like. That's yeah. why you see guys. I'm not saying this was the right thing, but to take guys like Marcus Tatum, who were obvious projects, mm-hmm. versus guys that you know are, are maybe more ready made to play. So it's just you know. So so right now I think Wanya, but he's Morris, not one of those developmental guys. No, <laughs> I think he is maybe re- a little bit. I think he's really good in the pass protection game. He he still had some hiccups. Yeah, as he you, he extends those arms and you can't get around him. Yeah, as as you're going to do in a, an event like the opening where you've got all these ridiculous edge rushers coming at you every single snap, you're going to lose some play, some reps in those settings because it's it's tilted more toward the defensive end, honestly. Um, but he he looks good enough in pass protection that I don't think he's as much of a developmental guy there. It's just does he have the strength, the physicality, the the just dominating nature to to be equally good in the run side of things, and that's what you don't get tested in in these camps. You're not run blocking, you're yeah. pass blocking. So so we'll see about that this season. But he's at, at the very least strengthened his case this spring and this summer, and uh, and and we'll it'll be interesting to see where we put him in our next rankings update coming out of the opening final. So that's the main thing. Uh, I know you guys also discussed the other, I guess you discussed the other reason. We did discuss uh, Jaleel Clemens. Clemens. Yeah. Yes. And that's another one. He's, he's really interesting because of how quick he is off. God, the edge. He is fast off. The yeah. Edge. Really, really quick. First step. I, the, the main knock on him is his size. I mean, I, I know people are going to have questions about why in Starkville, Mississippi, he doesn't have a Mississippi state offer. He doesn't have an Ole Miss offer. Tennessee is his only sec offer, but this is someone that after seeing him in camp, Tennessee felt very comfortable taking. They can only take maybe two, three at most, you know, edge rushers in this class at outside linebackers. So to, to use one of those spots on a guy like Jaleel Clemens, I think shows you they're pretty sold on him and that this is a guy they are, are really excited about and aren't worried about the fact that other schools haven't offered and they know what they see. And I think with camp evaluations like that, you kind of got to take the coaching staff at, at their at their best judgment. So especially this staff because they seem yeah. very – they seem to emphasize getting to see guys in camp. And, and I remember mentioning this last week, Clemens was a guy they had been monitoring for yeah. a while. So these they, Well, they had offered him. That's yeah, the thing. I mean, they, they don't – and, you know, this – I don't think this staff in particular, I don't think they're – you know, they're going to want to evaluate guys over a period of time. Uh, like they've done with some of the in-state guys, they've evaluated them, but they also want to see him well, in and person. And, and they want to see the, you know, up close and personal if what they see in that setting confirms what they see on film and what they like about a player initially enough to, to offer them. Yeah, and I've seen people say on our on our board already, on the checkerboard, uh, talking about, yeah, I, I gave the old staff the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to do that with this staff until I see some results. I think the staff has earned the benefit of the doubt. I was going to say, if you're going <laughs> to give them the benefit of the doubt on either side of the ball, I would think the defensive side, you at least can, even if you're skeptical a little bit on the offensive side, you can at least look at this staff with Jeremy Pruitt's expertise on defense, with – Chris Rumpf, with all the guys that, that are involved on the defensive side, if they feel good about a guy like Jaleel Clemens, I, I think you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt for now. So uh, I, I think it's a nice pickup, and we'll see where he ends up in the rankings. But I think Barton Simmons adding uh, last week on our board that 
you know, that that's a guy that he, he was kind of going above the curve by giving him the rating he did after seeing him in person this spring, rating him as a, a fairly high three-star uh, coming out of a camp setting where he didn't have a lot of any, really any major offers at that point. I think shows you that, that our guys were impressed by him too. So I, I think it's a nice under-the-radar pickup, and we'll see how he develops over the next few months. But uh, definitely someone that – I actually spoke with a coach of a team that, that practiced against um, – Starkville uh, High School in, in a spring scrimmage and was very impressed by Jalil Clemens long before he committed to Tennessee. So that's a, it's a nice addition, I think, and we'll, we'll see how, how that goes in the rankings. But uh, definitely filled a need for Tennessee, and they still need at least one more edge rusher in this class. We'll move on to the main event now. And uh, we, we need, we need uh, the guy going, let's get ready to rumble now. Yeah. But Why do you not have it queued up? Because I'm terrible at my job. Hey, you said it, not me. Oh, I say it all the time. But I'll add this. Uh, we've mentioned before, and I, we you don't have to tease it too much because we talked about it at the beginning of the episode, but people say we're too jaded. We only see the negatives in a team over time, and, and I think there is some, at least a modicum of, of truth to that. So what we will do now is try to toss all that out the window for a few minutes and discuss the reasons why this could this team could be better than expected. Well, so uh, to set the mark here, Vegas has put the over under by and large at five point five wins, which I think is the perfect place to have it. There was one sports book that put it at six, right? But right at six, the, yeah. It was an overseas one, not a. Yeah. Uh, it was a, it was a random one. I don't put much into that. What do you know, China? But if you need to work on that, you need to work on that. Your face needs to work on that. If they go anywhere six wins or more. I, I think it's a really good season for what for what they've got here. But uh, we will mention right now some reasons that people want to, or if you just want to say you want to close your eyes and go la 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 when we're talking about the bad stuff, and you just want to know some good stuff. Let's start with none other than hashtag feel steel. Well, let's, who hates it when I call him Feel Steel? Well, let's let's face it too. This is the time of year the temperatures rise, and so do the wind projections for fans at all schools. Basically, how long did you work on that line, Jim Nance? Uh, about three or four seconds. But I liked it. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, I didn't like it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but but that that's that's what happens this time of year. It's the summer. It's at, when you get to SEC media days, I think that's when the the anticipation hits a we're in the middle of talking season yeah it, it hits a different yeah. level and then as you get into preseason camp people start hearing the buzz about certain players that look good in shorts and shoulder pads and they're like all right i i think this team can win x games and it's usually you know one or two more than everyone was projecting a couple months ago so we're going to feed into that frenzy by giving you some reasons for optimism and here's what you know hashtag feel steel said to our friend Good FOP, Josh Ward on uh, WNML's uh, Rocky Top or Rocky Talk podcast. Takes me a while to – it's kind of a tongue twister there. But uh, kind of one of, the, like one of those magic eyes. Yeah, good job, that you Josh. you see something that's not there. So, uh, yeah, way to go, Josh. You nice guy, you. Here's what Feel Steel said. Uh, the last couple of years there's been that controversy about the head coach and will he be there. That's been going on the last couple of years. I think it's good to get a fresh start, which I think we all – Agree on. He said, generally, a first-year coach, when he comes in, it's a bit of a learning curve. They have to learn the players' strengths and weaknesses. Players have to learn new systems. But there is talent at Tennessee this year. 
In fact, it's unusual for a team to have four wins the previous year and rank in my top units in four of the position categories, which Tennessee does on my defensive line, linebacker, and defensive back lists, as well as wide receiver. Two of those positions make sense. I'm going to – again – the defensive back thing made me go. Well, the defensive what? line, the defensive line me. makes me. <laughs> yeah, you get, you go. Hey, uh, but remember, remember, remember. Hey, this is positivity. This is the power of positivity right here. Uh, he said, "Decent, ta- decent talent, Tennessee. Tough start to the schedule, but November it could be a November to remember." Hashtag Phil mm. Fulmer. I think if the Volunteers are going to get back to winning records in bowl games, you're going to have to have a big November this year. So I would agree. There with you that. go. Uh, th- th- there is. If you go by, it, he's right to say that that there is talent. If you go off the recruiting stars, that's the, that's the qualifier. And because you just go down, you just go down the depth chart. Okay, Kelly, Chris, and Jerry Grantown are both four star guys. Ty Chandler, four star. Yeah, wasn't Chris rank, ranked like the number two pro he style was, in his class, and and Garantano was number one dual threat in his class. Yeah, they were pretty. They were pretty up there. You uh, receiver Jennings, four star. Marquez Callaway is a four star. And here's where you've got the stars, but you don't have a lot of guys that either have A, proven it, or B, been developed by the previous staff. However, that uncertainty could be viewed as positivity, could it not? Uh, and here's, here's another good point that Hashtag Feel Steel made. Anytime you have a decent defense like Tennessee does, that's where I think it really could be good this year. Keep, See, keep in mind, last year, despite the 4-8 record, they did only allow 413 yards per game. That's decent yardage wise. They're my number thirty-seven defense coming into the season. That's and we talked about this a little bit less uh, last week, Wes, when you completely called me a fool, thinking that for my bold prediction uh, that Tennessee would finish in the top half. Of I the didn't SEC call you a fool. I said I disagreed with your assessment. When my my point was that uh, Tennessee was only not that far off from from seventh last year, and that was at the end of last season where the bottom fell out. The wheels came off, and they gave up like 122 points in their last three games when it, when they just about given up. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the defensive line; that's a question mark. But then again, you've got some guys that that were highly recruited players. You've got guys like Kyle Phillips. You've got Jonathan Con- well, Conway's an outside linebacker, but still, uh, Shy Tuttle's a guy that was a top 50 player, just about yeah. top 50, top 60. Um, and boy, when he's healthy, he's good. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you've got some talent Ale- up front. Alexis Johnson, a former four-star Juco yeah. guy. Uh, you, you, look, you look at other positions concerned on, on the offensive line. You bring in a guy like Brandon Kennedy, who was good enough to get recruited. That was, that was my Alexa. Thank you, Alexa, for interrupting this podcast. We're going to have to record it all over again, aren't we? No. <laughs> Leave it in. Organic. Um, if you, uh, you, know, you look at the offensive line, if you're trying to talk yourself into that being a better situation than most people are giving it credit for, then you say, well, hey, if they get Trey Smith back, that's – that's a huge boost. Obviously, they're bringing in Brandon Kennedy, as I mentioned, who's another four-star guy. Um, Jerome Carvin looks like a nice player already that the staff likes. So mm-hmm. you, you kind of talk yourself into, hey, these players could, you know, could be pretty good if they're put in the right situation. So, um, But, yeah, I, the defensive back thing, he's ranking – so Phil is saying that he's ranking Tennessee's Field. defensive backs top four in the SEC. Hold on, did he say top four? He just said among his top groups didn't he what's the quote Wes let me go back to what feels he said of four position groups he had Tennessee among his top, top he said four of the position four of the position units are ranked what they're rank rank in my top units in four of the position categories yeah. I wonder what his top units are yeah does it go to six maybe yeah still could. if you have top half talent in the SEC you're pretty 
pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't follow him on the secondary there. I can see the argument for the I, others. I guess the secondary you're going off. Nigel hey, Nigel Warrior. Warrior's really good. Yeah. You're maybe expecting Schamberger to make <laughs> okay. a big well, jump. But even then, like, you know, Abernathy and Todd Kelly were right. our veterans that have played a lot and they were highly recruited. Yeah. You look at this, and, and this sometimes happens more so in pro sports and it does in college sports but we've seen it in college sports like when you know ogre took over a couple programs during the season and they kind of got a nice little pick me up from that there is a new coach bump it does exist and players there it's so the value it's really hard to calculate how important a fresh start can be for the players on your team in any sport you get a new voice coming at you especially if the previous voice was starting to really kind of great on the side of your brain. And we're talking about an offseason where no one left, really. After yeah. we thought they were going to, they didn't. That was maybe that, tells you there's some buy-in there. Yeah, that they like what they're dealing with. And, and you know, I, I, the few guys that I've talked to, they're, they've made no bones about it. They are getting pushed hard. They're getting pushed harder. But they have a they seem to have a better trust in what they're being told. And that makes sense, given the fact that this staff right now is undefeated at Tennessee. So... These guys have never they, – they've never taken the lessons that they've learned from this staff, gone out on the field, and lost a football right. game. So they're going to believe. That's, that's part of it. I think the bigger thing might be that they, they trust this staff to do what they say they're going to do. I, yes. I think it's as simple as that for some of these guys maybe, that they're just – they know they have an opportunity. If the coaches tell them they have an opportunity, they really do. And nothing's been promised nothing's or been promised. sort of promised. Right, exactly. So I, that's that I think is where that – is coming from if i had to guess because i think the old the the former staff made too many promises of giving guys certain jobs or feeling they owe somebody a certain job that kind of thing that that is done right now that and and i think there is there is a lot of you know you can look at uncertainty any way you want that's the thing it's a blank canvas You, you can paint it dark you can paint it bright you know you can do you can leave it blank you can do whatever you want with a with a blank canvas and that team under no circumstances last season should have gone four and eight. None. There are no excuses, despite some of the injuries, despite some of the other things. There, there is. When you look at it purely from a football perspective, there was no reason that team should have had that record. I don't. Th- I, don't I don't think. I, I think. I think it even even like a five and seven or six and six. I'd have been yeah. like, okay, I could see it. But to go, to go down to four and eight, I just there is no reason why that should have happened. No, I agree, but I, I've told people this too. It didn't happen by accident. You don't get to four and eight with an eight and four team. Oh, that, absolutely. That I, team had major issues on paper. I agree. And and they didn't develop, they didn't they didn't recruit well enough and they didn't develop well enough. Sure, but my only argument is they shouldn't have been four and eight. Yeah. And I mean that, I mean that And considering they lost a close game at Kentucky and Close game at South Carolina that, that could have been one on the final play. You know, there were there Florida. at least yeah. So there were there were two or three games that got away from them that yeah. Any one of those goes differently. You're at least a five win team, and they should have probably been at least a five win team. I I don't know that I would go along with the logic that they should have been you know seven and five or something. But. Here's what I'm saying: you're you, you take over a four and eight team. There are expectations you have of what kind of player you're going yeah. to be inheriting, and there is a there are a lot of players on this team who are not four and eight players, I don't think. Now, in some crucial spots, you might have that, and mm-hmm. that's what they're going to have to work through. But I, I think if you have a baseline expectation for what you're going to see from a four and eight team and you see it, 
and this this team right here has more talent than I think you would expect from a four and eight team, that's, even in yeah, the SEC. That's fair, and I, and I, that's at the same time though. I mean, you look at some of their best players from last year; they're losing their best player on both sides of the ball. This is the optimistic. Okay, you're right. <laughs> But they've got guys that can replace those guys. That's, See, it's, you, you, we're, you so hard, we're so hardwired. You cut well, me off. I mean, we saw what Ty Chandler could do with one game when Don Kelly wasn't there. Let's see what he can do in 12 games when he's not there. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give you one of the main reasons. I think there's uh, – I mean, the, the coaching change is the number one thing. I think it starts with all no that. No question. It, you're, you have the built-in possibility of players who didn't develop or flourish under the old staff maybe doing that under a new staff. You have just a, a change in philosophy and mindset that might pay off. And you have a team that underachieved a little bit last year. So all that helps. I, I would also throw in just the patching up of the roster that the staff has done right away. That was my next Yeah, thing. bringing in five junior college players, I think it was, and three gradu- and three graduate transfers. All that, along with some freshmen that are going to help right away, as, as most as most signing classes should have some freshmen that, that should help. This one does. Um, but, but also just bringing in those guys to help patch things up this year. I think that really makes a difference. When you look at what this offensive lineup in particular might look like going into the season, if Keller Christ was to be your starting quarterback especially, um, but even if he's not, you, you might have a pretty different-looking offense. You might have uh, a running back group that consists of Ty Chandler, a familiar face, but also a graduate transfer, Madre London, and maybe a true freshman, Jeremy Banks. Those guys both could get playing time. You might have a, a new starting tight end in Dominic Wood Anderson if he, if he lives up to the high pride away. You you might have a, a completely different looking offensive line simply from the addition of Brandon Kennedy and maybe Jerome Carvin that Patrick mentioned. So there, that's a almost half of your offensive lineup could be different just based on the guys they've added this year. And, and I think that's something that that is something that we that we overlooked in terms of our expectation that there would be a lot of transfers. Is that, I mean, the depth chart right now. If we try to if we try to do a depth chart right now, it would be probably probably kind of hilarious. An organizational how, how, chart. How wrong it would probably end up being. Yeah. <laughs> because there's not a lot coming out about who's ahead, and, and there's no way to tell. He's, and the staff, I don't think, knows in some cases. No, the staff hasn't seen all this this version of this team on the field yet. They saw a version of, of a shell of the team that they're going to have this year back in the spring. So they have some idea of what some guys can do, but uh, they still have a lot to figure out. And I think uh, a lot of players, not only I think are they willing to listen to a different message that they feel is more genuine, I think that has something to do with it, but also think that, uh, you know, what's the main reason a lot of guys transfer? Playing time. Mm-hmm. Well, right now playing time is completely up for grabs. Everybody's got a fresh start. So, uh, and, and something was, you know, somebody asked me earlier this week about, you know, is this team going to have a chip on its shoulder? And I do think that's going to be another reason that this team could surprise some people is because I think they are going to be uh, a group of guys that, uh, you know, a lot of these players didn't come to Tennessee to go four and eight. They didn't. They didn't come to Tennessee to not win an SEC game. They're they're going to want to come out this season and prove that last year was was an aberration. Last year wasn't them, uh, and so. And they're going to want to get that out of their system last year. I mean, it was no fun for anybody. You know, we heard a couple of guys at the end of the Vanderbilt game last season talk about it, how it wasn't fun. Josh Smith said it wasn't fun to play. Uh, and that's not to say that this staff is going to make it fun necessarily because they're making it really hard on these Water guys right balloon now. fight every day. Yeah, they're not doing that. But I'm just saying that, like, um, you know, this, this team and these players have a new sense. You know, it's a fresh start. So everybody is you – know, you know, I think players appreciate just the chance. And I think a lot of guys are going to get a lot of chances – uh, in camp, and so that's why uh, you're going to see competition, I think, help Tennessee figure out who the best players are. And I think this staff is actually, because they don't have any sort of deals or promises or any of that, yeah. they're, they're going to play the best player regardless of who it is because they don't have anything to go off of. You know, mm-hmm. They got here in December, and that's when their timeline started. 
they don't really, you know, have any mind or, you know, really care what happened last yeah, year. Yeah, I think when, when you look at a, a, the way that we evaluate coaching staffs and, and, and coaches in general, there are so many criteria people use to judge those coaches, you know, their ability to recruit, their ability to, you know, uh, scheme well for what they've got, their ability to, to motivate on a daily basis, to uh, be fair, to, to keep your locker room intact. There, there's a lot of things that go in there, and I think – the single most important trait to being a coach is one that does not sound sexy and it's not discussed as much, but I think it's the number one thing. And to me, it's one word, practicality. And I like... It's a big word. I like the practicality that Jeremy Pruitt has so far. I think that I, I like his ability coming from the high school level, building his way up through that way, being a no-nonsense country boy. He looks at it. And he says, man, this roster, it could, use, it could really use some immediate help at a lot of places, but definitely need a body at quarterback, running back, and someone on the O-line. So what do they do? They go out and they get graduate transfers for all three of those positions. I think they have a very practical view of things. They tried at cornerback, too. They tried. That was, that was the other one. They, they did. They tried. And we brought in some JUCOs, at least, if you couldn't get a grad transfer, bring, bring in a JUCO. So, so I, I, like, I like people who can kind of look at the field, can take a macro view of it, and go, let's do this, this, and this. And these, this thing can be as complex or as simple as you make it. And, you know, we always talk about, you know, how the complex schemes that Saban has and all these other things, and it, it makes – that's true to a certain extent, but also the best coaches at any level are brutally practical. They know what they have. They know what they don't have. They try to accentuate the positive. They try to go away from things that aren't working, and they try to beat you with what they've got. And I like – we've not seen him in a game. We don't know what's going to happen when he needs to manage the clock in the final minute of halves and, and stuff, and, and, and we don't know – how he's going to try to motivate a team through the ups and downs of a season because he hasn't dealt with a lot of teams who have lost a lot of games. We don't know. However, that's also a blank slate. It could be great. We, we don't know. But I just like when – I, when I look at Pruitt, the, the most important thing I think is that's a practical dude right there. That is a guy who will see things and go, let's not try to put that square peg in that round hole. Mm-hmm. Let's try to put a round peg in that round hole. And I think he – I really like that because I think that was something, quite honestly, that parts of the previous staff lacked. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that can help Tennessee steady the ship and get things going again. I, I would I would also point to maybe better than expected offensive line play being a possibility. I mm-hmm. think that's a big key for this team. And, and you know, Trey Smith comes back. Do, and the Brandon Kennedy addition immediately could change you, the entire yeah. lineup. I mean, you, you talk about uh, – you know, that situation, what it was back in January, February. Now you're, you've looked bad. You get Kennedy and you're thinking, well, you know, if, if you get Trey Smith back, you could have, you know, your right side of your line could be Kennedy carving at guard, maybe Trey Smith at right tackle. I mean, that's those are, four, those are three pretty big, strong, yep. athletic dudes. Um, and then you can, you know, Ryan Johnson's a guy that was highly recruited. Riley Locklear was, you know, very solid when he played last yeah, he, year. Yeah, he, he was freshman. solid last year when, you know, he was on shirt to red uh, – on, on, on shirt to red track. On track to on red track shirt. To red shirt. Uh, I'm Either still, way, it I'm works. I'm still in post-vacation mode. But, uh, 
yeah, I mean, you, you, and not only that, but you're uh, we see a lot of things with offensive lines about like returning starts. That's a that's a big stat for Phil. Say his yeah. name again. Phil. Phil Steele. Hashtag Phil Steele. <laughs> that's a big number for him. Uh, I think Tennessee at one point. I think I can't remember if it was last year. Maybe it was last year. They were like number two in the country in terms of like most combined starts. This this group is like third lowest in the SEC. That might be good because their offensive line was pretty bad last year. So mm-hmm. that's one of those things where you have a, a group that's not necessarily a veteran group that's set in their ways. You've got some guys that haven't really played a whole lot, and so you think that coaching can maybe have a bigger impact there. And, and you, I, I've heard some people say that uh, coaching makes – offensive line is a position where coaching can make the most difference. Well, that's, that's, the, point I was, that's the point I was going to make next. I think Will Friend has shown it his – Two, last two stops at least, the, the numbers that you see, especially from year one to year two, the progress they made. Um, but even sometimes from the previous year to his first year there, you see a jump in the yards per attempt and rushing. You see, you see improvement. Uh, and, and if this group can even protect the passer a little bit better than a year ago, then you've got a shot to do everything better on offense. So that's the key. And this, if this group does, you know, like you said, if Trey Smith comes back, if Brandon Kennedy starts as we think and improves that group across the board – this offensive line might exceed, you know, some people's expectations, and that gives you a chance to, to do everything well. I'll give you another reason that you might feel optimistic about some things. You know, I, I don't care what defense you're playing. You go 4-3, 3-4, 3-3-5, bare front, whatever. You play play whatever defense you want to play. Any defense is only going to be as good as it is in the heart. And you have to have good, smart tough, just good football players and the heart of your defense. And when I look at Tennessee's defense, yeah, you got questions at corner, and that's important. You got kinds of you got questions at pass rusher, aside from Joe Taylor. That's important. But you want to be good in the heart of your defense. And I really like Tennessee's inside linebackers. I, I do. And, and I think you got one of the most talented safeties in the country in Nigel Warrior. So that, that heart of your defense there – gives you a chance to maybe patch some holes and be successful. And I think a good defensive mind like Pruitt and like Shearer, those guys, you know, uh, throw throw Rumpf and Rocker in there too. Those guys, they've been around a lot of good football, and I think they can coach the heart of that defense to be pretty good. And I think that's going to that's gonna help. They got, they got a wave of, of inside linebackers, about four guys that I feel pretty darn good about. And they got one of the best safeties, most talented safeties in the country. And that, that kind of led into or goes hand in hand with what my next point was going to be, which is everyone thinks of the transition to the 3-4 being a nightmare, and they think of the South Sanseri disaster in 2012. My argument for this team is they, they are better equipped to at least have a shot of making that transition okay this year. I'm not saying it's going to be seamless. not saying it's going to even improve this defense by any stretch. But it at least might go somewhat better because this group has a defensive line that's physically capable of playing a 3-4 with Shai Tuttle, Alexis Johnson, Emmett Gooden, Kyle Phillips. You've got some guys that physically can do the job there. Like you said, an inside linebacker, they've got that position in better shape, it seems, at least on paper. The the 2012 defense I don't think was quite as well equipped there. Correct. At outside linebacker, you've got at least Daryl Taylor to work with, and then you've got a few other interesting candidates. You've got Austin Smith, DeAndre Johnson, Jordan Allen. Any one of those guys emerges as the pass rusher you need opposite Daryl Taylor, and you've got an interesting group there. 
And then at safety, like you said, you've got Nigel Warrior and a couple experienced guys, at least, and, and Mike Abernathy and Todd Kelly Jr. So, yeah, it, it's uh, aside from cornerback, there's at least some reason to be optimistic, pretty optimistic about every position on that defense. Now, cornerback's still a huge question mark. Absolutely. Sean Schamberger, there's some other guys there that are interesting. You, you hope maybe a newcomer like, like a Kenneth George Jr. surprises somebody, Elante Taylor and, and – yeah. And Bryce Thompson might have Taylor a lot. Taylor could step up and be a freshman All-America for all we know. Taylor and Bryce Thompson may be the biggest wild cards on this defense. If either of those God, true, Thompson's a great athlete. Yeah, if either of those as a true freshman can start at corner and, and give Tennessee something they don't have there right now athletically, that, that could change the look of that secondary. So that, a true freshman's going to make some mistakes, but it also might make you really uh, at least capable of, of hanging with some guys. And, and if that O-line plays well enough, if that O-line can, can, can hold down the fort and be adequate, I'm not talking about being good. Yeah. I'm talking about if that – Let's just let's set the high bar at adequate. If that group can be adequate and the quarterbacks can at least be efficient managers of an offense, I like Tennessee's wide receivers. Jawan Jennings is back. And if Jawan Jennings is healthy and focused, man, that's a big-time playmaker that gets added to an offense. He's a really good football player. And you've got other guys there at receiver, Callaway. Uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not – I know he – I know he was inconsistent. I know he was. But Palmer is a guy who, gosh, there's some upside there. Mm-hmm. Big, physical, you know, strong, fluid athlete. Just a, you know, Brandon Johnson's a guy who does a lot of things. You know, if you get the ball to Tyler Bird in some space, maybe he can do some stuff. Um, you know, you've got guys like Latrell Williams who, uh, until further notice, is still undecided uh, on my ninja project- projections. But Jacquez Jones, we didn't you know, get to see him Jacquez last year. Jones, Jordan Murphy. Yeah, uh, you know you've got Eli Wolf who can who can occasionally split out wide and do some things if they want to keep that a part of the offense. And Dominic Wood yeah. Anderson could be an and instant bring, upgrade bringing in the number one JUCO tight end in America. So the, there's a lot. If if that O line play is adequate, that that gives you a chance yep. to do some things throwing the ball downfield, and you've got some big, tall, strong, power forward looking wide receivers. You know, if if you got to go get up for a 50-50 ball, I'll take – give me Jawan Jennings versus the field. If Jawan Jennings is healthy and focused and I need one 50-50 ball thrown to the end zone, I, I give me him over the field. I'll take him against anybody one-on-one to go up and get that ball. I've seen him take first-round NFL picks and, and beat them. And- I've seen him do that, and we all have. And you've also got, you know, Callaway, big, strong, physical guy. Palmer, big – big tough kid or you've got guys you can throw the ball up to and they'll make plays for you part and of i me, think that helps part of me also thinks this staff maybe more so than the fan base i don't think the fan base is sleeping on him at all but i wonder if this staff is maybe underselling ty chandler as a running back too because this this staff hasn't because s- he's not 230 pounds yeah because he's not their prototypical type of guy they've seen him out there in spring so they know he's got some ability i'm not saying they think he's not good but i, I also wonder if they're maybe expecting to like Madre London and Jeremy Banks and those types of guys, maybe more so than what they they are returning at that position and thinking that, yeah, Chandler's going to get some carries because he's the best out of the other guys, but he's not necessarily their type of guy. I think he might exceed their expectations in some ways if he does what everyone saw from him last year. Conspiracy theory. They know that Ty Chandler could be a good player, but they just want to keep pushing him. 
and they keep not mentioning him that often, and they keep talking about. Well, he didn't some mention of the guys anybody for in. three weeks of spring. No, practice, I know, but 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 <laughs> seemed to go out of his way a lot to not mention Ty Chandler. Who, if you talk to anyone who saw any of those scrimmages or team portions of practice, they would say number three. Without Jawan Jennings out there, number three is but and no Trey Smith. Chandler's the best player on that offense. Look at number three; he's making all kinds of plays, and I think that he's the kind of kid who's kind of quiet but very very confident in himself and his ability. And if they keep kind of prodding him that way, I think a lot of guys you gotta you gotta give them love. You gotta do all these things. Uh, I don't think he's one of those guys. I think if you I think you can push him and like what you get as a result. So I, I think that could be another good thing for them. Yeah, I think with with the thing in the backfield though is is I think that with Chandler and with a guy like Andre London, they each need to have somebody else. Yeah, I don't think Chandler's a guy that you can give the ball to 25 times. I agree. I think tackles. that's fair. Not in most games, And I think yeah. the staff knows that they can use Chandler in some different ways to get him the ball out in the perimeter, out in space, toss sweeps, uh, runs to the edge, stretch plays, things like that. You haven't, even, you haven't and, even mentioned and, the buff hamster yet. That's now, where the questions come about and, him and, 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 yeah. in between the tackles. And now he can, but you don't want to ask him to do it 20 times a game with an SEC defense. That's where you, you can have a guy like London who is – not, I, don't, I wouldn't say he's a spectacular player, but I think he's more than serviceable for what yeah. they're going to ask him to do. And they're going to ask him to be their, their, one of their in-between-the-tackles bruisers. And, he, he, was, he was the starter for a majority of the season on a college football playoff team. Yeah. He's not a bad football player. His career at Michigan State might have turned out differently had you know midway through his freshman year he not gotten hurt and missed three games. And that's sort and of if win. a stud hadn't taken over. And, yeah. And so he, you know, he's a guy that I think is – he can't be your only guy, but if he's one of your guys, I think you're in decent shape. And yep. you mentioned Jordan as well, uh, another guy that can you know can handle more of the in between the tackle load, with the, which I think the staff is going to want to do. So uh, if that with, he doesn't with Chandler, have a neck. Buff with, Hamster doesn't have a neck. With Chandler, it's going to be more about touches to me than carries because he's a guy that you can utilize in some Camara. different ways. Yeah. Uh, he's not maybe that explosive. No, he's no, not no. that big either. Oh, oh no, 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 that, no, no, no. But I mean, you don't gauge. What all I mean is, you don't gauge Alvin Kamara by carries per game. You gauge, gauge him by touches no. per game. That's that's all I mean. Like, that was the like other, six against Florida. <laughs> yeah, that was the other thing. Not with a Kam- good idea. Kamara is that everyone thought he was a quote unquote smaller back. Right. A because he was playing next to Jalen Hurd, who was a tight end. But I mean, Kamara was five ten and every bit of like two ten, two fifteen, solid. Uh, and he hated, like, if you brought up the notion up that he was a quote-unquote smaller back, he, he didn't like that. That was one of the few things that Alvin doesn't like. People said the same thing about Travis Stevens, and we all yeah, know what he could do exactly. between the tackles. And so, so you never know until you put that guy out there and let him see, also, show what he can do. And Chandler was a guy that, that ran in between the tackles a lot I was going to say, coming out of high school, he wanted an I-formation offense. This and, is what and there were some I-formation offenses that recruited him, too. Yep. So, so he could go out there. There are reasons, and we've gone pretty much across the board on positions. I think we've given you – a I've pretty, got, I think. I think we're giving you a pretty, a pretty good micro version of the macro version yeah, that the, that Phil Steele gave, which the, was that this team does have some pieces that, if they're put together the right way, yes, that schedule is brutal. It is brutal until November. That is a disgusting schedule. I, I'll get, I, but that leads me to my last point, though. I was going to say the schedule's tough, no doubt about that. A five game stretch could beat them down. You know, if they if they go two and six in their first eight games, it may just be hard to bounce back from that. We've seen that with Tennessee teams in this situation before, the rebuilding year. But if they can come out of that with anything left in the tank. Yeah, because, well, first of all, at the end of that run, I think they're still capable of beating South Carolina. I, I think South Carolina is a solid and they team. they could beat Florida at the start of the run. They could. So, uh, so there are, are opportunities for upsets on the schedule, and there's not a team on that November slate, even though Missouri is going to be tough with Drew Locke, and that might be a bad matchup like West Virginia in some ways. 
There's not a team the in the most that. impressive performer they have ever had at the Manning Passing Academy, according to one analyst who was there. That's how good Drew Locke was. Yeah. So he, said he might be in their conversation for number one overall pick now. He's he's really good. So I'm I'm not discounting that at all. They may put up fifty a game uh this year. Who knows? But there's not a team on that November schedule that is significantly better than Tennessee to where you should say they should be a clear underdog against any of them. Correct. I, at home against Missouri, if Missouri's more than a six point underdog, it's because Tennessee has been even worse than we thought they were going to be. So that's true. So all those games are at least winnable in November, and there are two opportunities, I think, for upsets, like Patrick said, Florida and South Carolina. It may be even an Auburn. I, I, don't, we'll even think, I don't even think South Carolina is an upset. I think, yeah, I think you're playing that game on, on the road. On the road it is. You're, you've, you, will, you will have just played Alabama. You will yeah. have just played Auburn. And South Carolina's coming off an open date. So. Yeah, South Carolina's that South Carolina's that team that when I look at the SEC and when you start looking at the actual pieces and how they fit together, that is a team that a lot of people are sleeping on, and I don't think they should. I'm not saying that's a title think contender. Sleeping on? No, I, th- I, I think saying. no. I think there's some people who are still sleeping on them. I think that team could be pretty darn good. They should be pretty good. They got two NFL wide receivers and probably an NFL quarterback. I'm seeing a lot of people. I'm, I'm talking second I, in the East. So no, no, I'm not, no I, I think they I, should be yeah. second in the East. I'm talking when you talk to the casual, everyday, average fan, and this is who we're trying to talk to here. We're not trying to talk to industry insiders here. We're trying to talk to the, the fans and trying to tell them the that if you between? think of South Carolina, yeah, whatever binary, you're you're one or the other. And <laughs> if if they. I don't think the average fan in the SEC maybe understands how tough of a team that could be. But we're talking positivity for Tennessee, and I think are, South Carolina is terrible. The rest of the East is terrible. We're just pretty good. But are, are we not? Did we not give you a pretty good detailed version of what I've just of about, what some of the other guys have said? I mean, I think we've shown you reasons that it's going to be tough to put all these pieces together. But if they can put a few of these pieces together, they could be a decent team. We did such a good job. I've just changed my prediction myself. I'm just kidding. Yeah, Ryan's got him going ten and two. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan's in the double digit win camp now. <laughs> Everybody else other than Alabama and Georgia is going down, according to Callahan. So remember when they when they when they're uh, playing for the SEC title in December, Ryan knew. No, I've said this though. <laughs> it's a five and seven team on paper, and that's the safe projection. But there's there's not a reason they can't get to six wins, and there's not a reason that if things fall their way, there's not a reason that, they can't get to seven. That, that I was gonna say that they can't get to seven. I think eight's where it becomes. You're working your way. Get to get to ten. I, Come I, on, guys. No, get to eight's 10. where it gets to little fantasy land. I don't. That's, I don't. I, I think that eight's a bit much. Ask them to beat George, Alabama, or Auburn is too tough right yeah, now. Yeah, agreed. So those for them to beat West Virginia and South Carolina is a little bit tougher too. I don't see those happening. Yeah. So I think that's where I am. I but think everybody the, else, I think they can beat. Yeah, that's that's basically where I am. I think those three teams in the SEC schedule are too tough. West Virginia's a likely loss. Anything beyond that is at least on the table. I don't know. West Virginia's got a bad defense, though. Yeah. I don't think no. you're winning. I don't think you're winning. Try to meet. Does West Virginia have a bad defense, or does it have a bad defense because the offense scores so no, they quickly? Have a bad defense. Their defense, their defense is bad. on the field they all do. the time. Their but defense I, is bad. I just don't see Tennessee winning. Yeah, they, only, track they only won them. seven. They only won seven games last year. Who says they're that good? And I don't see Tennessee holding them to twenty. This is the optimist. 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 It is. I'm just yes, telling optimist. you why I'm including that in the. No, you're, you're being negative. I'm telling you the other eight are winnable. The other eight, at least, are discussion in the discussion. You want to be West Virginia? You better be scoring in the mid to high thirties, at least. I think. Well, have you seen that defense? So that's just just a thought. But I do think we've given you reasons why this could be better than people think, including us. We've given you the argument against the arguments that we'll probably be making for the next I was going to say, we'll be back next week with our usual dose of here's why you should be worried. It's true. And you know, does it matter what we say? It matters what they go out there and do on the field. But... If it didn't matter what we said, 
who would be listening to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. And I can see people are. So, clearly, clearly, it matters. Doesn't it? Nah. Pat, any final thoughts? Nope. <laughs>